We'll be right back after this. I've actually been using today's sponsor for over three years and love them. And that company is Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear me say Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you might think, what's the catch? But the cool part is that there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They don't have retail stores or salespeople, which cost a lot of money. Instead, they deliver premium phone plans directly to you. Say goodbye to your multi-hundred dollar phone bill per month and start using Mint Mobile where plans start as low as 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash fyshow. That's mintmobile.com slash fyshow. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash fyshow. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Now back to the show. And I think by the time I got out of college, I realized that the job that I was like heading towards was going to be in a cubicle, and I didn't want that life. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Fi Show. I mean, I could not be doing this without my awesome co-host, Cody. So, Cody, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? Just enjoying this. Well, I just enjoyed this beautiful weekend on the lake. Had some friends over, probably too many friends over, a couple too many drinks. How about you, man? (laughs) Well, so I know last week I mentioned that I was going to go whitewater rafting, and I did go whitewater rafting Saturday. And it actually turned out to be even more than I was expecting because it was only $25 a person, which again, this is through the Air Force Base, but it was like awesome rapids. It was a full day thing. Like they gave us snacks out halfway through and then had a full barbecue afterwards and transportation to and from. So that was probably one of the best bang for your buck weekends we've had in a while. And speaking of bang for your buck, this episode right here is packed full of information and it's coming to you free 99. So I think you're going to love this episode as we dig into a ton of Airbnb topics. Ziana, take it away. My parents were never really that good with money. And so I grew up in a house where it, there was just a lot of struggle. There were times where we had money and then there were times that we didn't have pretty much anything. Like there were times that we were on food stamps and I thought, gosh, it doesn't seem like everyone has that life. You know, like there's got to be another way. And even just being like a young kid, there was enough of like tension in the household that I realized that I didn't want to live that life if I could figure out something else. And so, yeah, I think my interest was like really embedded from an early age. I don't think I actually had kind of any skill in it until I was about 18 or so. And that was just when I started reading like actual personal finance books and like watching shows about it and just like getting more curious about like, how could I invest? How can I pay down debt? You know, how that all works. So I would say it's probably earlier than most. I've just always been like a bit of a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, what part of the country did you grow up in? Did you have like a big size family? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, so I grew up in Hawaii. And so I'd say like, more expensive than some places. And we had a small family. It was just like my sister and I and my two parents. And they were separated when I was pretty young. And so we kind of just like went back and forth between them. But yeah. And so which island? I grew up in Maui. Okay, awesome. Justin, didn't you just recently go to Hawaii? I did. I went to Kauai and Oahu. And um, I could absolutely go and live in Kauai for the rest of my life. I love it there. <laughs> really? Just you and the chickens. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's some good looking chickens. I mean, they're not like your, they're not your ugly old just white chicken. It's a good looking chicken. <laughs> happy. All right. So back to finance. (laughs) So you're 18 years old and are you just so curious about personal finance? You're just digging into book after book because maybe you don't want to be in the same position as your parents or was there a mentor or a class in high school? Like what actually got you so interested that you went out and you actually sought out reading personal finance books as a senior in high school or freshman in college? Yeah. You know, I think like I've always been interested in like entrepreneurship and like hustling and building businesses. 
So that was also something that happened at an early age. And so, yeah, like even as a kid, I remember like selling candy bars to kids at school or like trying to print out pictures of bands and like selling that kind of stuff. So like that spirit has always been in me. And I think like I wanted to figure out a way to like leverage that to like have stronger finances and whatnot. So I definitely read like Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was pretty young and I started watching like Susie Orman show, which you know, some of that information I don't resonate with anymore, but it still was like a really good idea just to learn a little bit about basic investing and snowball payments and all that kind of stuff. When my parents really just like never saved at all and they didn't really have any idea of like the future, it was always kind of like paycheck to paycheck with them. And how did that entrepreneurial spirit translate into your view on college and what you were looking to do? I mean, did you feel like I don't need the higher education? I can just figure this out on my own? Or what was your outlook on that? Yeah. So my dad was kind of the entrepreneur of the family and he always, like, he didn't go to college himself. And so he kind of had this like negative outlook on college. And so he was always kind of like, oh, you don't need that. Like that's giving up kind of thing. <laughs> and I knew I wanted to go to college just to give myself the opportunity but now, like being further away from it, I do think that a lot of people get into debt unnecessarily for college. And if you're smart about it, like you don't necessarily need it. It is nice to fall back on. You can always get a degree later. But there are so many things you can do that you don't need to go into like $100,000 of debt for, you know. So I don't know if I would have done it again. The college that I went to, I didn't actually end up using. So I don't know that it was very beneficial for me. And so were you one of those people that went $100,000 in debt from your college experience? No, but 50, something like that. Still a big cut. (laughs) It's huge. Yeah. Especially when you're just not making much, you know, it was like working minimum wage or something like that. And yeah, I, I went to an art school and I studied fashion marketing and didn't really end up doing that at all. I think marketing's always a useful skill, but I definitely think like everything that I do, you could have just been a scrappy person and started doing so <laughs> yeah I didn't really need it and was your with your college experience was that still in Hawaii or was, had you moved to the mainland at that time yeah I moved to um, LA to go to school and I mean I think that's always a cool experience to like leave home and try something new college is like I don't know a really interesting time for kids to like branch out and start thinking like for themselves and just doing things differently so yeah, I think that experience can be really great. But I just like wonder if there's other ways to get it or community college or whatever, just so you don't have to be in debt. Go to Europe, <laughs> go to school for free. <laughs> Heck yeah. So let's kind of move forward to when you graduate. Did you graduate with a fashion design degree? I ended up with just an AA. Okay. So I got a marketing degree that's just like an associate's and never did that. So I was like a tour guide for a while and just did fun jobs and Yeah, I just knew that eventually, if I followed my passion in life, that I would come upon something that was fun, because it always seemed important to me to be doing something like fun and interesting and creative. And I think by the time I got out of college, I realized that the job that I was like heading towards was going to be in a cubicle, and I didn't want that life. And so it was sort of a disappointment towards the end to realize that wasn't going to really work out. So I love that approach to life. Like I have a bunch of friends I met. I lived in Australia for five months and they just live like the hardcore YOLO freestyle. Like they're making like seven or eight grand a year as like a scuba instructor or tour guide or whatever. But I mean, you and all of us know that that's not a long-term plan that can really work out. Like you're not going to be able to save money and have an IRA and all that things if you're making literally like 6K a year and living in hostels. Like it sounds really fun in theory, but like at what point did you realize, hey, maybe this is not going to work out and I'm not going to be able to hit my long-term financial goals? I mean, I think it depends on how you do it. Like if you're living in a bus, like maybe (laughs) you could save money, you know? I mean, there are people that make it work. And I do think that there is something to not like sacrificing too much. It's like, if you give up on your dreams, if you give up on your lifestyle, you sort of just get beat down and then you don't have like the passion, the creativity and that like drive that keeps you going. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that people can make it work for me. It did. I was still saving money working as a tour guide and just living cheap and making ends meet and going from thing to thing. So, well, heck yeah. Prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, like, do it. 
<laughs> Maybe it's not how you're going to want to raise your kids. I don't know. Depends what your lifestyle goals are. So I'd be curious what some of the things were you were doing to be able to save money as just being a tour guide. And then, you know, you, you mentioned having that like $50,000 in debt. What did that pay down look like? Like, I know you mentioned starting to get interested reading these books, but what did it tangibly look like? Well, when I was a tour guide, so the way that kind of worked out is that it was like six months of the year that you're a tour guide. And so we didn't have a house during that time because we were always on the road. And so the company was paying for like hotels when you're in hotels or you're camping when you're camping because that was kind of what the tours were. They were like adventure travel. And so with really low expenses, because you don't have like utilities and things like you can definitely pay your bills off of like what your wage was and what like tips you get and things like that. So that worked out for me. And then when I was done with that job, we were eligible for unemployment in between. And so I was traveling the world on unemployment and just living super cheap in hostels. And yeah, you can do like wolfing and trade. <laughs> so there's <laughs> lots of ways to make that work. When I started paying down the debt in a big way, so I think I always paid the minimums, which is like a very dangerous thing. But whenever I could pay more, I did. And so I think for the first 10 years, I paid just a little bit more than the norm and it didn't really change. And that's the really scary thing about school loans is that if you were just paying the minimums, you can just be paying interest. And then 10 years later, you still got $40,000. Like you didn't actually pay anything. And so I think there was a point where I really was like, oh, I have to pay this. Like <laughs> there's no like paying the minimum. So like I need to be paying like a thousand dollars a month or like more than that. So once I had it, I was doing it in a more aggressive way. So, yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of depends on what your goals are. But definitely I am one of those people that likes to be in no debt if possible. And I do have some home debt now because that's kind of a, a more leveraged thing. But even so, I have probably half my homes are paid off. And so, yeah, for me, it's just more comfortable. And something you touched on before that I just want to quickly address, you said you were saving money. Now, at this point, I know you had read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know what other types of books you were reading. But does saving money just mean like tossing it into name your any old checking account? Or are you actually like investing in the stock market at this point? Did you find some resources or maybe some mentors that were pointing you in that direction? Yeah, so that's one thing that I think is really cool about Susie Orman, even though I think she's like not aggressive enough to be like FI or early retired. She definitely did mention Roth IRAs and Vanguard early on. And so that was like the thing that I started doing from like 18. So even if it was just like the minimum or whatever little I could put in it, I think back in the day, you could put like $50 a month, which is like no money. But, <laughs> you know, over time, if you're 18, it's the compounding interest of time. And so that has built into a nice nest egg for me. And I, I don't touch it or anything, but it is a nice place to put money rather than a checking account because I don't think that's a great option. Nowadays, there are checking accounts and savings accounts that have higher interest rates. They've been a lot of competitive ones that are like two and a half percent, which is not like the 8% you would get in a Roth IRA, but it's money you can touch. So if you're saving for a down payment on a home or something like that, don't just throw it in any old account that's going to make no interest, at least get some. So yeah, there's some options for sure. Awesome. And just to kind of help people follow along with the story, what age, what year is it when you're kind of finishing up doing this tour guide thing and when maybe you know the next part of your journey begins? I was tour guiding like 22 to 23. <laughs> I don't know what year that is. I maybe 2009. Yeah, something. <laughs> I'm going to get back and do the math for you. We're going way back. And so, I mean, I traveled a while and then I ended up moving to Colorado. And so I moved to Boulder where I live now in 2011. And that's where I started doing Airbnb. And that I had moved to Boulder to become a massage therapist. That was like my next plan B thing that I was going to do. And I thought I would have this whole like side hustle doing massage and it would be great. And that didn't really end up happening. I, I did go to school for it. I did become a massage therapist, but I did it just a couple of years and then Airbnb took over my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> And so this is 2011. I mean, I'm not an Airbnb expert, but is that's probably pretty close to when it was started, right? 
Yeah, it started in 2008, but I don't think many people had heard about it until 2011 or even 2014 is when I actually could talk to people and they would be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Because when I started doing it, I would tell people and they're like, I have no idea. They're just like glaze over. I'm like, okay, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So to piggyback on that question, I mean, how the heck do you even get started? Because I remember 10 years ago, I talked to anyone who's say over the age of 40 and you tell them about like Uber or Airbnb. They're like, you're getting in another person's car. You're sleeping in another person's house. Like this is insanity. (laughs) Like how did you actually start making money? Was there someone who told you about it? And they're like, hey, Ziana, you should try this out. Or like, what was that whole journey like? Yeah. So I think I was lucky to have done a lot of travel. And so there was this website called Couchsurfing before Airbnb. And so I had a lot of experience with that. And what Couchsurfing is just when people would put up a profile and they might have a picture of their couch or wherever their spare bed or an air bed, and they would let you stay for free. And it was just kind of like good travel karma. Like you would host people when you're home and when you're traveling, other people would host you. And I did it like all through Europe. And when I lived in Hawaii, like we had people come all the time. So I don't know, I was really used to the concept of just like hosting strangers. So it didn't seem weird to me at all. So at least I had that on my side. But I heard about it from a friend who was living in New York City. And I think just the cities are where things catch on faster. And so he heard about it in 2011. And I started doing it, I think 2012, after he'd been bugging me about it for like a year. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, you kind of had a a really good background on this kind of stuff because, A, I mean, you had lived in, now you're on your like third place where people travel to a lot. So you're you're kind of used to that mindset and you've done the tour guide stuff yourself. So you kind of got that mentality of like, okay, this is where people like to travel. This is, this is a desirable place to do Airbnb. So what was that first Airbnb like? Like, is it a place that you actually own? Was it a place you're renting and you just were kind of sub renting out another part of it? How are the logistics behind that? So I had a two bedroom apartment that I was renting and I had a roommate, I had furnished the whole place. And so she was renting one room, but I was like charging her a little bit more because it was furnished. And so when she was going to move, I realized like, well, it's already furnished. I could just put this room on Airbnb. It's not like I have to do anything. I just build the profile. And then if people come, they come. And if I don't like it, I just get another roommate. And so that was a really easy transition for me. And early days, like it wasn't that popular in Boulder. I think it was probably like just much more popular in New York because it is like a very high demand place to stay. But now Boulder is a very popular Airbnb market. So it's like worked out over time. But yeah, when I got started, it was definitely like just here and there that I had bookings, but it was enough to cover my rent. And it really like inspired me to keep going with it. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool to think about. Like, you didn't even own the place, right? And you're still doing this. I know that's not necessarily legal in every state, but that's a, a really cool place, depending on where you live, where you could get started with that. Quite a few places will let you do that. Even New York City, which is like one of the places that's the hardest to do Airbnb legally, they just want it to be where you actually live. So, was it this first Airbnb where you actually thought, hey, Airbnb is actually contending with my massage therapist income or? I don't know what other side hustles you may have had at that time because you did say you had that entrepreneurial spirit to you. But did Airbnb just kind of really start just rolling and rolling as it got more popular and it started to like replace your day job income or what did that look like? Yeah, at the time I was still in school. And so I wasn't really making money from massage yet. I might have been doing like a little bit on the side, but mostly it was I was working at like a retail shop. I was making like $12 an hour. And so I started to realize like, oh, if I clean the Airbnb myself and if I get another one, I can like live off of this, you know? So I just like slowly kind of leveraged it. So I did get another apartment and furnish it. And I just ended up like living between the two apartments for a while. When you say you got a second one, did you just kind of start a lease on a second one or did you actually purchase one? Yep. I just started a lease. So you had two leases going at once? Yep. (laughs) Is that legal? (laughs) Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, yeah, I honestly, I don't think I can't. I don't see why it wouldn't be. It's just I, that's I've never heard of anyone doing that. But that's a really cool idea, and it's also something again where you know a lot of times we look at these things and it's like, what is something that you can try without having to put a ton of skin in the game? Like, okay, so you start, you know, you could probably find a place that you do a six month lease and like, let's try this. What's the worst that can happen? You know, it's not gonna put you in debt forever. You're not gonna accidentally buy a house that maybe you know it's got a terrible roof on it or it's got you know mold in the walls whatever like it's it's a six-month lease it's something that you can get in and out of 
Yeah, and there's whole like Airbnb companies where they just lease places and then re-rent them. So they might go to a brand new apartment complex and say, hey, I know you can't like rent this whole apartment complex out. You have 100 units. Let's just rent 20 of them from you. And then in a year, we'll have 10. And then the next year, we'll have none. And, you know, we'll help you along the way. And so I know companies that have like 100 units and they just rent them and re-rent them. So it's definitely an avenue to do Airbnb. Awesome. So as we move forward in your journey, I think this would be just a kind of a good thing to do for the audience is to have some action points in here for people who may be interested in doing the same thing. So at this point, you have both your Airbnbs, you're living between two apartments. I mean, and you said you were actually managing the Airbnb. So you're going in and cleaning, right? Yep. Oh, man, that is a lot of work because I know my mom does that. (laughs) So could you just kind of talk about the nuts and bolts of managing? Like, are you setting a minimum night stay so you don't have to go and clean like two apartments every single day? Or could you just walk us through that whole process and what it was like for you? And maybe some things you'd change if you could go back. Yeah, you know, I think for me, it was like I could have a job where I have to be places on a certain time frame or I could just suck it up and clean And like, I could be there in the middle of the day and it was like no big deal. You know, I could do it in my own kind of time. And the cleaning fee was like 40 bucks or 50 bucks. And for me, that was like a good amount of money for just a couple hours. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm living with no rent and I'm just like biking around town, I just have to pay for food. If I can make like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks a day from cleaning two apartments, like whatever. And then I'm making the money on top of like the rental. So it made sense. It was like, oh, I can have like a more relaxed day. So I'd rather not have a job. So it's like, it's the hustle part. And there's something about like when you make money in that way, that's just so much more rewarding than when you go to a general nine to five. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but even if you had to spend two hours, get the same amount of money that you could have gotten one hour working for somebody else, it just, it just feels good, right? (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like, it's your own thing. Like, I don't know if I was like going to go out and look for a cleaning job, but because it was like my Airbnb, it was fine. And I had them on like one night stays. Like I was like, fine, whatever. One night stays great because most of the time it's like they barely even stayed there. You know, you're like, oh, it's like clean pretty much. So you just like do everything in a light way and then you're in and out. So one thing I'm curious about is maybe some of the things that a lot of people don't realize that really help you get the most bang for your buck. So you know, like I see these Airbnbs, it's something like a tree house, right? Like it doesn't cost hardly anything to build, but it's so unique that people pay like so much more, or maybe it comes with some kind of different kind of amenity that the other ones don't come with. Like what are things that you've noticed in the Airbnb space that really make a difference that don't cost that much to the person who's managing it, but comes with a lot of ROI? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. I was just talking to a client like literally before this and we were saying about how tiny homes could definitely be that, you know, it's like tiny homes these days. I've seen some for like 25,000 on Craigslist, you know, like you can find them. They're even selling them now on Amazon and stuff. So, you know, if you're crafty, you could probably build a tiny home pretty cheap. And then from there, the only thing is like the logistics of it that can be a little bit confusing. It's like, okay, how are you going to set it up with utilities or a toilet or whatever? But if you can figure all that out, like people love tiny homes. It's all the craze. So like you could get a really good return if you can sleep for people in a tiny home. You know, you could even charge 200 bucks a night. So I think it just kind of like the creativity part. Yeah, is definitely there. But I would say for like a normal home, if like 
your home doesn't really have any like special things that stands out is that you can really furnish it with like a lot of color or you can do like a fun theme. And so some people make their places look like Pinterest or like a great interior design magazine. Like if you really make it stand out, people want to stay there because they don't live like that normally. You know, they want to live somewhere with like red wall or they want to have like a very stylish experience. So something with a barn door, all those like cool trends. So, you know, a barn door is like really easy to install. So if you just like are a little bit handy or a little bit clever, you can make your house look really interesting. And it's just all about selling through the pictures. So trying to make your pictures like really great helps a lot. And so, Ziana, as someone who's very knowledgeable in the Airbnb space, when you're kind of deciding, I'm sure you've looked into traditional rentals as well, or I'm not sure if you even have any. We haven't gotten to that yet. But when you're kind of deciding whether you should Airbnb or traditionally rent a property, what are some of the factors that come into play? I think for me, long-term rentals are not that interesting. I find that like, I don't know, you have to chase people for the rent and you have to do like background checks. I mean, you don't have to, but you should. And then they don't pay nearly as much. And then you're not like visiting the home unless you live nearby. But when you have a cleaner going in every couple of days with Airbnb, you know the house is in good condition. Like you don't really know that otherwise with a long-term rental. So people can just like totally mess your place up. And then, you know, Airbnb does not have evictions or anything like that. People pay up front and they pay sometimes twice as much as what market rate is. And so that's kind of like what has been so attractive to people with this new like popularity of Airbnb. So it sounds like you would take an Airbnb over a long-term rental any day. Like are there's no are there any red flags or certain areas in the country that you wouldn't touch Airbnb and maybe long-term rental is the better choice or are you Airbnb all the way? I think there're just certain markets where it won't work, you know? So like you do have to kind of look into it, but I've been really hard pressed to find one that wouldn't work, but I guess there are maybe some places in the boonies that might not have <laughs> anybody coming to it, but you'd be surprised. I'm in an Airbnb right now that I manage and it seems like it's middle of nowhere, but it's on a lake and like just so happens you can get to New York City in an hour and a half. Like it seems like out of the way, but people love it as like an escape. So sometimes being out of the way is a good thing. So yeah, it just really depends. Yeah, I've actually always been curious about that myself with so like I grew up in a small town in Mississippi. And would anybody actually rent a place here? But the crazy thing is, I've been shocked at how many times like hotels will have, you know, the sign saying that they are completely full. And I'm like, who is coming here? Like, why are you coming here? And I know there is a couple of those like interesting Airbnbs in the town that are kind of like an old grain silo or something where people are coming to stay at. And there are a couple of attractions like historical stuff that older people come to visit. And it does seem like that older people are starting to kind of come around and be a lot more okay with Airbnb. It, it was, as Cody said, like, I think when it first started, everybody was freaking out, like you're going to stay with some mass murderer. But, you know, so many people are doing it now that I think all the generations are kind of getting behind it. So I think that's that would be a really interesting, like some data to get would be like, how far near a, a popular area do you really have to be in order to have a successful Airbnb? Or can you just kind of be in even in the middle of nowhere and just kind of make your business off people who who want a little getaway, a little staycation, maybe? Yeah, you know, I have some friends who their parents do Airbnb, and it seems like they're in the middle of nowhere in Florida. But just so happens they are really close to the highway. And they're kind of like a midway point when people are kind of driving through the state. And so they are hugely popular and people love to stay there and then they've got great reviews. So it's like, it's better than a Motel 6, you know? So I feel like even in your town in Mississippi, it's like, if you're better than like the weird motels, then like you're probably going to be <laughs> totally fine. So yeah, you never really know. And so moving forward in your journey, your real estate journey, but I kind of want to start talking about financial independence in a bit. At what point, I know you did finally get into the five space, when was your entry point? Like, what was the gear and how did you kind of get introduced to the whole concept of financial independence? Oh, well, I heard about financial independence probably 2011 and I heard about it through Mr. Money Mustache. I think it was like after I was being a tour guide and I was kind of looking for the next thing, I was like, okay, you know, I have this idea that I want to just be smart with my finances. So I should like look at this all again and see where I'm at and see if I'm on track. And yeah, when I found that blog, it just really made me feel inspired. Like, wow, okay, 
this guy retired at 30 and like, I don't know how I would ever do that, but like, I have a goal now. And so I'm going to just kind of copy his strategy and try to stick with that. And so I think that really helped me just to get started, like get on the train. And when you were first starting, you know, what was that goal? Like, when did you actually think you could retire? I didn't really have a date. What I was just trying to do is I was trying to retire by 30 and I was probably 25. And then I had student loan debt still. And I wasn't, I mean, I probably had a couple thousand in my Roth IRA. It wasn't a lot, but what he had was 600,000 and a paid off house. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to shoot for these goals. I have no idea how, but I'm going to go for it. And I, I feel like I've always kind of been a believer in like just setting your mind to something and not getting caught up in the details because you can kind of get in your own way. And so that was just sort of the thing. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be paying down debt. I'm going to be putting things in my Roth IRA and I'm going to try to get to 600,000 and then figure it out. But I think very quickly while I was doing Airbnb, I realized like, oh, you know, I don't have to necessarily have a paid off house, but I can have no house cost if I'm doing Airbnb and it's paying for itself. And so it's like kind of learning those little ways where I was like, oh, wait, this is kind of like a loophole. And that made me feel like I could get to it a lot faster. So one thing that's kind of interesting to me about your goal specifically is like, if you're a real estate investor, you're investing typically for cash flow. So it would be kind of strange to try to save up like 600K instead of going for like what I call cash flow fi, where say you have like 5K coming in a month and like semi passive or passive income. And like that, then you're going to hit fi a whole heck of a lot faster. We've had a few guests on the show who have done something similar to that. Did you ever have like a pivot point where you're like, screw this, I don't need to save up 600K. I can just get this cash flow every single month for low to no effort and then I can retire? Yeah. So that kind of happened accidentally. But for the longest time, I had this like, okay, 600,000 can translate into like, say, 2,500 a month, you know, so it was like, okay, if I can live off of something small like that, like 2000 to 2500 a month, then I'm going to need that 600k. So that was like the goal that I was working to. But then after a while, I'd been doing Airbnb. And I realized like, oh, I can make $4,000 one month on one apartment. And I'm like, oh, okay, if I can just cash flow that way, I can be just leveraging my apartments, then I'm totally good. And so then it sort of pivoted for me to be like, I want to be more legitimate in this space and I want to own something. And then I felt like if I own something, people couldn't take it away from me. So it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to save up and buy a place. Awesome. And so after those first two places, I mean, what was the trajectory after that? Like, did you just go house, 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 or like, was it a slow process? I know you hit financial independence pretty quickly after acquiring those first two Airbnbs, but what did the rest of the accumulation of Airbnbs and maybe even managing Airbnbs look like? Yeah. So I would say it was pretty quick. Like at first I was just a little bit slow to, to the uptake (laughs) and then it became quicker when I started to like let things go. When I started to hire like a cleaning lady and like leverage that, I think at first I was really trying to do the like Mr. Money mustache thing of like, I'm going to do everything myself. But I learned over time that like I really had to leverage things to make it so that I was making more money, actually. Like I wasn't going to be holding myself back by trying to do everything myself because there's just only so much time in a day. And so I think at that point, I started to realize like, wow, I could have a lot of places. Like I don't need to just have two because that's all I can handle myself. So I think that is like a point where it pivoted a lot. But for me to hit five, I had to buy my first place, which I did in 2014. And then I had a place that I was just another rental and they were both just one bedroom apartments, but I was making enough cash flow that I hit my fine number and I was just like only managing those and, you know, managing my life. And it was probably like five hours a week and just hanging out. So I did that for a couple of years before I decided like, wow, I could leverage this into like a bigger business let me see what that looks like. And so that's where I'm at now. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you actually went to buy your actual properties, what were things you were looking for to purchase that, that you felt like this will make a good Airbnb? And especially if there's things where it may be looked at as a detriment to somebody who was wanting to rent it long term, but it's like made perfect sense for Airbnb. Yeah. So I think like I was telling a friend about this earlier today, 
For me, I had a one bedroom that I was renting in Boulder and it was close to the college and it was in like a condo that had a pool and whatnot. And I had been paying like $1,100 in rent for that one bedroom. And I knew that the like in the lowest season, I was making like $1,800 and the high season, I was making like $4,000 a month with Airbnbs. And so when I was looking to buy a place, I was checking one out that was five minutes away, same kind of amenities, one bedroom, maybe a little bit more spacious, but it had a view and my mortgage was going to be 900. And so I was like, oh, I already know all the numbers. So it didn't feel like a risk at all, you know? And I think that that's not always true for other people because they don't really know the market. But for me, I'd already been in the market for a couple of years. And so it was pretty easy to make that switch to the first buy. And after that, it just got easier. So you hit your fine number. I think you were age 28. Mm -hmm. And then now you own, what is it, six houses. And I think you manage like 20 plus other people's houses on Airbnb. I do. So (laughs) that just seems like an insane transition. I mean, what were those couple of years like? I'm not going to ask your age, but like, what was the transition? I know you talked about purchasing that first home, but now you own six homes and you're managing 20 plus homes. Like, what does that look like in terms of lifestyle as well? Yeah. So I'm 33. So just a couple years later, but I pretty much bought like a home a year. So I bought my first place in 2014 that I was just talking about. And then I got this opportunity to buy something in St. Louis and I really wanted to just try it. It seemed like the market was so much more affordable than what I was used to in Boulder, but it was risky because it was this kind of new town that I knew nothing about. I couldn't just like drive over there from Colorado. It's like 18 hours away. It was like a, a totally different thing. But once I bought that second place, I bought that. So the first place I bought like September, 2014, the second place I bought July, 2015. Once I knew that was working, I went back and I bought two more places five minutes away in November, 2015. So it was just like four places all of a sudden. And then I waited like a year to buy the next place that was also in St. Louis. So that was like January, 2017, maybe. And then I bought another place last year in March. I think so. (laughs) So I'm due. I'm due to buy the next place. But yeah, it's actually really easy. I think the first home is always this like huge, oh my gosh, it's the American dream. I need to have this like perfect place and it's so much money. How am I going to get a mortgage? But like once you do it, you kind of go like, oh, all right. And you just keep doing it if you're into that sort of thing. And for people who are looking at doing kind of what you did where you purchased a place from a distance and and had an Airbnb out from a distance, what are some of the tips and tricks for managing that? I mean, do you recommend people try to do it on their own or do you recommend them try to find somebody locally who's kind of handling it? I mean, obviously, they're not going to be the ones cleaning it if it's 18 hours away, but it, how much hands-on versus hands-off should you be? I mean, I think I'm only hands-off or hands-on because I have a management company. Otherwise, I guess it depends on how much profit margin you have in it. Because I could definitely hire a management company and like still make good money on those those places. But I also am like a little bit, I don't know. I just like my hand in it. I want to know what's happening. I want to know that we're like doing the best that we can. So it is a little bit hard to let go of. But I think it comes down to like how much time do people have? You know, like a lot of people that I manage their homes for them. You know, I was just talking to a client and they're trying to go fi and they have another duplex they just bought and they're renovating and they've got all these projects like they're trying to get there as fast as they can. And managing an Airbnb would be in their way, you know, so even that like 20 or 25 percent that they're paying me, it's not worth it for like the momentum that they need to keep going with their jobs. And so I think what people don't realize about Airbnb is it can kind of become a part-time job. People want you to respond to them within an hour. You have to do cleanings at awkward times a day. So like if there's a problem with the cleaner between 11 and 3, you have to be like around your phone. It's kind of hard if you have a full-time job. If you're in an office, you can't look at your cell phone. It kind of just depends on what your lifestyle is like. So Ziana, if I'm someone who's never forayed into real estate or Airbnb, but I want to get started, this is going to be a very quick answer. There's some little things that other people might not know 
that they need to get started with the Airbnb? Like, could I literally just go sign up and within an hour get my listing up, take a picture of my bedroom over there, and just like start renting it out on Airbnb? Or is there some more prep work that's involved? I mean, you can literally just do that. And I think like what people don't realize on Airbnb is that there are shared spaces. And so like you can list your couch in your living room. You can list an air like an air mattress in your living room. It doesn't have to be its own room. You can also just, you know, list your space when you're out of town. And that can be just a way to try it out if your roommates are okay with it or whatever your situation is. I've found that people even make like a glamping setup in their backyard and they'll have like a cool tent and maybe like a little campfire setup and they rent that out. So I think like there is a lot of opportunity in creating spaces that people might not think about. And so I do like tell people just get started, like get on the website, like start filling it out. Even if it's just testing it out for your bedroom and you're not going to publish it, you're going to learn a lot about, oh, wow, I didn't think about how much lead time I need to have or how many days I want to have it booked or do I want a one night stay or do I want it to be a minimum of three nights? It's like, it'll start asking you all these questions that you have to answer and it'll help you like think about your plans. I think the thing people don't always think about is like, you need to have a lot of sheets and towels and and prepare a little bit like it's hospitality. So, you know, if you're going to have people in your house, you want to be supplying like coffee and tea and like make it a nice space. It can't just be like a dumpy college dorm. So you might have to prep on that front a little bit, making sure it's like really clean and stuff. And if people are interested in maybe kind of dipping their toes in and doing management for someone else before they are in a point where they can actually own their own place or go get a second lease. Do you have any recommendations for that? And we haven't talked as much about the management piece, like exactly how profitable is the management piece? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what's cool about management is that you really need like no money to get started. So like the different ways to do Airbnb, I'd say are like, You can rent a place like I did when I started and they call that master leasing where you rent it and you re-rent it, but you still have to be furnishing the place and putting down a deposit and the first month's rent, maybe the last month's rent. So like, you know, maybe that's 10 or $15,000 and some people don't have that. It's still cheaper than buying a place that maybe is like $50,000 for down payment, depending on where you live, but it's still an expense. And so for people that are just going to co-host is what we call management and Airbnb, you don't have any money. You find a place that somebody's got already furnished and you're just taking a percentage of what it makes. And so that's a really great way to get in. But it's also a little bit dangerous if you have no experience, it might be hard to find clients. So I always recommend that people try it in their own spaces first, just to get like a little bit of experience. And then maybe try to like, check in with friends and family. Like I feel like so many people have family members with like a cabin somewhere that they're not really renting or, you know, just try to talk to them about when they're traveling and see if you can help them make a little extra money. So if you get experienced that way, then you can start promoting. Otherwise (laughs) you can make big expensive mistakes on other people's properties. I don't recommend that. And what kind of rates should you expect? So I'd say like I've seen anywhere between like 20% and 40%. So with like long-term rental, it's usually around 10%. And so short-term rental is just so much more because you're making yourself really available and people are there all the time. You're coordinating cleanings and handymen. So I find that even on that lower end, if you're going to be around 20%, you can make 500 to 1,000 on like a smaller house, even just like a two or three bedroom, depending on what part of the country you're in. But yeah, you can make 500 or a thousand a month on your commission. So depending on what you're trying to aim for, but you could have two or three of those apartments and, and be making enough to live off of. So that could be a really good thing. And if you are master leasing, you make more like 60%. So you make a lot, you know, just to get started, co-hosting is a great way to go. Well, I really love all this Airbnb talk. I mean, managing properties, even just renting out your spare bedroom or couch. On the Five Show, we love thinking of different side hustles that don't take a heck of a lot of extra skills or extra work. Like you could literally just set up a tent in your backyard, like you mentioned, Ziana, and rent it out if people are willing to stay there. If you're in a 
really desirable areas. I just think that's so awesome. But And we could talk to you for hours and hours about this. It is honestly such a cool side hustle and something that we haven't really talked about in too much depth yet. But if people want to kind of hear more about your story, pick your brain, learn more about Airbnb, where's the best place people can get in contact with you? Yeah, my website, ZianaMcIntyre.com. And I imagine you'll put it in the show notes for spelling. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. So that's the best place for people to reach out? Yeah. And I offer consulting like one-on-one and I have management. So if other people are curious about just trying their house being managed, all the options are there. Awesome. So Ziana, I'd like to say thank you as well. And one thing we always do is ask, you know, if you were giving one tangible tip to people on their journey to financial independence, what would that be? I would say just get started because I've met so many people at meetups, especially in the real estate space where they're like, oh, I've been into it for like two years. I've listened to every podcast. I'm reading all the books. And it's just like, okay, yeah, but like do it, you know? (laughs) And I think the hard thing is that things change so fast. And even in the last two years, prices have gone up so much that people may have been missing opportunities. So yeah, you want to make like educated decisions and not be like a little too emotionally invested and like do something too fast. But it's just like nice to get your foot wet and like go for it. So yeah, I think it's doing it. Awesome. That is such great advice. And I think that is super true. Just take action. So the last question we like to ask on our podcast is, of course, the most important. Justin knows that, but he does not know the question. I don't even know the question. I'm thinking of it right now. Ziana, you definitely don't know the question because it is the wild card question, but you better be ready for this. (laughs) All right. All right. So kind of like I just said, like you don't know what you're going to get. I want to hear the craziest Airbnb story where you walked in and you were just baffled at how an Airbnb was left, one that you were waiting to clean. I want to hear some crazy stuff. Honestly, I don't really have that many crazy stories. It's like things are pretty normal. I think people are waiting for like a horror story. They want like there to have been like a porno or a murder or something. (laughs) It really doesn't happen. I do have a friend that had kind of a weird story happen recently. He said that he had a woman booked for a one night stay. And when the cleaner went there to check it out, they had like completely moved in. Like the lady like put up her art and had unpacked all her boxes and she was like there to stay. And so it turned out she was like a little mentally disabled and they had to like do a whole bunch of arrangements to get her out of there, unfortunately. But it was like a huge, crazy thing for him. And yeah, so I mean, certain things can happen, but honestly, Airbnb is pretty normal. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it's working out for you. I would have liked if one crazy person at least made it so uh, <laughs> so we could have a good story for the podcast. But I do like that story. That's pretty good. Ziana, thank you again for coming on the show. A great story. We'll make sure we put all that stuff in the show notes so nobody has to stress about spelling the name. But I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Man, Justin, another guest who shows us that you don't need a ton of skills, you don't need a ton of experience, you just need to take action and figure out something that will work, and you can hit financial independence really fast. No, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is that I get to ask these people questions and I get to learn something like this has me so excited. It's got me looking into possibly, you know, like what are the local laws here on Airbnb? What could I maybe do back home with an extra room? Like, could I talk my mom to let me rent a room out in her house and like her get a percentage? You know, like my brain is just spinning with this episode. Absolutely. And it's so cool too, because it's not like you need to go learn coding. You don't have to go learn some crazy technical skill. You don't have to really do anything besides like have a couch or have a bed or have a tent in the backyard. Ziana was saying that if there's demand in the market, like if you live in New York City and you throw up a couple tents in your backyard, people are probably going to stay there because it's a heck of a lot cheaper than staying at the cheapest hotel, which is like a hundred and odd something dollars. So if you have a market for this, it's just such a cool opportunity. And as she mentioned, even if you're not leasing a place, even if you don't own a place, you can be a property manager for someone else. So maybe it's someone who lives far away or they don't have the time. You can go in, you can do the cleaning. And she was saying you can get a 20 to 40% cut. That is absolutely massive compared to other real estate managers who maybe make 10% or less. Yeah, I mean, she definitely went over some like tips and tricks how to make sure you got the most out of your listings. But... Like as Cody said, you don't actually have to have any skills with this to just try it out. I mean, all the infrastructure is there. The app is already there. You got a cell phone, take the pictures and yeah, you may not love it, but it's something easy to try. Like you can literally go do that this weekend. You can just go try it. And the other thing is when she got into talking about the management pieces, that's just another example of 
when you start kind of freaking out and thinking, I don't know if I quit my mainstream career, like, and all of a sudden I need a little money, like I said, I'm going to be screwed. This is just an, another avenue where you know that just one day you can wake up and be like, okay, I can just rent a room out in my house. Or maybe I can do that a little bit, get some experience, and I can start managing other houses. And clearly Ziana is a master at this by now. Like she is getting properties. She's finding the best properties, best return and stuff. But she was saying she hit Phi after her, I think it was her second or third home, Justin. I think after the second one. After her second home, now she has six homes and manages over 20 others. So she is doing quite well for herself. And she says she works like five to 10 hours a week. So she's a little less than Tim Ferriss, but she's doing pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, when you hear these margins she's talking about, right? Like even if you somehow screwed up, it sounds like at worst case, maybe you make just a little money. Like It, oh, it sounds like <laughs> almost hard to lose money with this as long as you are, you know, obviously do a little bit of research. But the margins are so big that you don't have to hit a home run on your first attempt. Yeah. And speaking of home runs, Justin. Whoa. What is it, Cody? It's a call to action, man. And today, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. People probably could have seen this one coming. But just get on Airbnb, you know, jump around the site, see what Airbnbs are in your local area. Are people renting out their couches? Are people renting out their spare rooms? Is there something you can do to maybe make some extra money? Do you have a couch? Do you have a room? Do you have a friend who's been looking to rent their place out, but they don't want to do the legwork? You can say, hey, I will rent this place out for X percentage. She said markets between 20 and 40. Just try to get involved with Airbnb in any way possible because it's a great way to make extra money without committing too much time and adding any extra skills to your repertoire. Love that call to action, Cody. And I love this whole episode. I mean, Ziana gave us so many nuggets for, you know, getting set up and maximizing your returns. And if you want to get all those same nuggets and the links, you can get those with the show notes over at thefyshow.com slash Ziana. That's Z-E-O-N-A, Ziana. And as always, we want to hear from you guys. So come out there and join the best Facebook group in the financial space you're going to find. It's the only financial space actually stronger than Chuck Norris's beard. It's insane. So come on out and be a part of the Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. And as always, thanks for listening. And we could really use those five-star reviews to help get great guests on like Ziana. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.